Hello, my friends, and welcome back to episode three of Project 259. I'm your host, Dominic Schleter, and in today's episode, Alex and I recap the past week of training, some different things that have popped up, as well as the subject of confidence, how to build it, and all sorts of different subjects relating to that specific subject. I thoroughly enjoyed today's conversation and hope you guys do as well. Three quick notes. If you're not doing so already, I would greatly appreciate it if you give us a follow, a five-star review, and then consider sharing with a friend. And then one final note for you before we hop into today's episode. This whole project is presented by Final Search. Final Search is the platform that Alex and I are using to communicate and build my training as we progress towards hopefully a sub three hour marathon. If you're not familiar with Final Surge, it's a training platform and app for athletes, coaches, and teams. It's used by top pro teams like the OAC and NAZ Elite. Two notes surrounding Final Surge. You guys can see every single run I do during this marathon training block on Final Surge's website by going to finalsurge.com slash athlete slash running effect. And then my second note for you is if you don't have a coach and you want to check out some world-class training plans written by some of the best coaches in the world, you guys can use code the running effect 10 for 10% off. All you got to do is go to finalsurge.com slash training plans. With all of those notes aside, I hope you all enjoy episode three of Project 259. Alex, episode three. I'm back doing the introduction, so it won't be as sexy as last week was. Uh, appreciate you doing this. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dominic. We just had a nice conversation about the World Championship 1500 that just transpired earlier this afternoon. What are your takes? You know, I told you this before, but I'm a big Jakob Ingerbritsen fanboy, so I was, I was disappointed to, to see him lose, but also... What a remarkable time to be a track fan where like just the expectation is that you're going to run 330, 329 in championship race and everyone's going to be within like two seconds of it. So I think it was, I, I know you haven't seen the race. You got to watch the replay because uh, you, you were at your job, but just remarkable race. And Jakob too, like he got beat. So Kerr beat him the same way that Whiteman beat him, like mm. the exact same. So I'll be interested to see what Jakob does next year. Maybe he tries to solo a 326 or... I don't know. I think the, his problem is he gets too lukewarm. Like he makes it fast, but he doesn't make it fast enough to burn all the other guys out. But he still takes the lead, so he leaves the kick in guys like Kerr. So I don't know. I think he's going to come back with a vengeance come like Prefontaine Classic. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I've thought about is if you're Jakob. Well, actually, the audience may not know this, but I actually have dual citizenship with Norway, so I'm also uh, an Ingebrigtsen fan. Uh, not only Jakob, but I've also been following his brothers for a few years. So it's it's been pretty cool to see that progression and to see that Norway is no longer just being known for their winter sport dominance, but also some some summer sports um, as we're speaking. But uh, you know, the one thing that's really difficult for someone like Jakob is is the idea of just having the target on your back and being the favorite every single race. I mean, just for someone to win once, like takes a combination of a lot of skill and perhaps a little bit of luck, but to replicate that over the course of a season, I mean, he had gone undefeated so far this year, right? Like in outdoor track and to do that, like five, six, seven times in a row. I mean, the margin for error there is just so slim. And when everybody else is trying to beat you, you've got 10 people who, who can take shots and take risks that you're not able to take. And so, I mean, it's a tough, tough spot to be in, but his level of dominance was, was unmatched until today. So, uh, pretty fascinating to see to apply this to this marathon project with the the term and word marathon 
if Yaka makes his debut, I'm sure he will one day. Uh, I think he comes from a very aerobic background if you follow any of his training predictions on how fast he could run in an ideal setting. Do you think he could break two? And even if you think he could, do you think it would happen in a debut? I know a lot has to go right, but again, I'm a fanboy. I think he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest to ever do it and will be after he hangs up the spikes. Uh, I I do not think he would break two. Um, I think that in uh, when it comes to distance running, people who are that dominant in the 1500 are that dominant for a reason. And they probably have muscle fiber types and uh, metabolic characteristics that are really well suited to middle distance events. Those tend not to translate up as well. You have the rare exception, Safan Hassan being that one right now in the London Marathon and then is able to medal in the 1500. That is extremely rare and something you hardly ever see. So I think he's just, he's physiologically built really well to run the 1500. Now he does come at it from a strength perspective, as you mentioned, from, from that aerobic perspective. So I think he has room for growth, but um, I think he's built more to be a miler, a 5k and maybe a 10k guy. Um, I think he's going to reach his limit. You know, probably beyond the half marathon. Not to make this too interesting and controversial, I think he could do it. From okay, <laughs> you just All gave right. a very scientific explanation. I'm just gonna give my track fan explanation. Kipchoge was he wasn't 15 focused; he was more 5K focused. But Kipchoge was like all in on track for a few years and was very, very good. He medaled globally in it, and uh, I'm sure if I posed that question to you back then, you would have given the same answer. So. Playing devil's advocate here. And then also, um, you know, he paced Kipchoge breaking too. And if you just look at his workouts, I don't know. Again, I get what you're saying about training, but I think he could do it. People are like, you know, you're the biggest fanboy at this point. Maybe I am, but um, I don't know. I'd love to at least see him try. And we are starting to see this kind of next generation move up a little bit. I'm sure Jakob is many years removed from it, but Sheptegai, I think, just announced he's doing Valencia, if I'm not mistaken. That'll be his debut. And, you know... He's the 5K, 10K world record holder, so it'll be interesting to see how that translates. If he comes nowhere near it, maybe then uh, after this series is over, I shoot you a Tyson. I'm like, oh, if guy didn't do it, Jakob's definitely <laughs> not doing it. But uh, I don't know. It's interesting. And then a, a second point for you, Alex. You talked about your, your, your dual citizenship in Norway. So my question for you is, can you do episodes four intro speaking Norwegian? Would oh. that be a possibility? <laughs> It, it is a possibility. I am a little bit rusty. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I have not been to Norway since COVID um, for a variety of different reasons. Uh, but I'm, I would consider myself semi-fluent. My dad taught me and my brothers Norwegian when we were younger. So it's in, it's in, it's in my brain somewhere. I just got to, I just got to polish up a little <laughs> bit and make it happen. Uh, so I will, uh, it is a possibility. Yes. <laughs> TBD. We'll, we'll see yeah. what happens. So Alex, let's let's recap some recent training for the listeners. Last time we spoke, um, we were coming off of this little hiccup, which was a little tendon in my foot. I had to take a few days off of uh, running for it, and then we we're getting right back into it. A big discussion last time was uh, a workout that was on tap on Final Surge. I saw it ahead of time, and I um, you know, confronted you about it, maybe a strong word, but uh, last episode about how easy it would be. So maybe from your perspective, run the listeners through last week of training and your take on it, and then I can give my, you know, take on it. Sure, absolutely. So I, we were at a point last week where we knew that something had flared up your foot. We weren't exactly sure what. So I was of the opinion that we should just do a very introductory session, uh, just to essentially check the box and 
I wanted you to just basically pass that test. And I was like, okay, if you can go into a workout setting, run something a little bit faster and come and not only run the workout without pain, but come out of it with no pain, you'd probably be in a good spot. So thankfully you, you ran the workout. It was, it was 12, 400s. Um, you were a little fast, but, uh, you felt, you felt great coming out of it. So, um, I, like I, I told you beforehand, I, I was going to give you the, the, um, permission to potentially pay a little bit, um, if, if you felt good. So you did that. Um, uh, and then, yeah, we had a really productive end to the week. Um, you did a, uh, a good double and then followed that up with a long run uh, of 11 miles uh, on Saturday with a day off on Sunday. Um, so that was kind of the point where we reset. And uh, I think it was solid. I think we hit, um, what was it, like between 45 or 50 miles, I believe. Um, I'm just I'm checking final surge now. Um, yeah, it looks like you were just, just over 50 miles, right? Yeah, I, I'm going to butt in here, Alex, and get my take, and then you can finish off with any thoughts. So there are yeah. three things in my mind. Number one was that workout. Listeners of last episode will know I fought Alex on the rest. And um, also part of my reason for doing that was because I knew if I had enough rest, my legs would feel good enough that I would run much faster than the paces. That's just naturally how you work. So that was part of it. Like, you know, I think you had the range of like 90 to 85. And then you left a note in final search the day before that, you know, if I was feeling good and everything was feeling 100%, I could cut down to 77 to 78. And um, I just naturally walked into a much faster pace much earlier on um in that last set i want to say i ran all 77s and then a 73 and uh i wasn't kicking for that 73 make no mistake people who were on the track can can attest for me um that i wasn't kicking it just felt good i felt in a rhythm and those are the workouts that really give you the confidence when you're running paces much faster than you thought you were capable of and then your coach prescribed at the same effort that you prescribed them at. Um, I genuinely felt amazing. And then a second run of note was the double on Friday afternoon. Like these mornings in Texas are, are bad, but I'm adjusted to them enough that they're not too difficult. But that Friday double, like I was just suffering. I was like, man, like, of course you're thinking like, if I'm struggling to do three right now, like the 11 tomorrow is going to be difficult, but then you just have to be like, okay, I'm not going to run the 11 tomorrow at, you know, 4 PM when the sun's at its peak and it's 104 degrees. So that was just like a little factor of like the Texas heat, even when you think you're adjusted, it always comes back to humble you in some way. And it wasn't like I was like dragging my feet on Friday, but it was more just the toll that heat takes on you. And I'm sure everyone can reflect on experiences when they're just worn out energy wise from being in the heat. And then, um, Saturday I had that 11 mile long run, did it with a good friend, shout out Pierce. And, um, yeah, just running with friends. I mean, that's one disadvantage right now with where I'm at. Like I don't really train with anybody too often. And so to be able to link up with a good friend and just have a good conversation for 80 minutes or whatever it ended up being, I think it was 744 average. So whatever the math is on that, it was just like so enjoyable. And it was like, oh, this 11 mile run was like way easier than the double yesterday. <laughs> like it just goes by faster. It's more enjoyable. And then um, Town Lake in Austin, which people in Texas, I'm sure are familiar with. It's like this 10 mile gravel loop for the most part. Um, just so many runners out here. Like Austin's a very active community. So Pierce and I like ran into two guys and we ran like two miles with them, had never met him before. Um, so even the fact that like we ran two miles with two strangers, that wasn't expected, makes the run go by faster. And then something Alex that I know we'll get into in later episodes is the aspect of fueling and how we're trying to incorporate that into 
my training, but more particularly my long runs, because those will emulate the marathon distance the best. I had two Morton gels, right. which is the most Morton I've ever consumed uh, in one run. So that was encouraging just to, um, you know, work on some fueling and feel fine doing it. Then Pierce texts me later that afternoon, and here's why I butted in, Alex. Uh, it'll make sense. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Go so, ahead. Pierce texts me, and he says, Strava says you're at 49.93 miles. He's like, you got to go out and run the extra <laughs> 0.07. And it's quite hysterical because Alex in episode one uh, talked about what I described, what I described as the parking lot warrior, the person who has to hit the distance. And mind you, Alex, if I knew I was that close... I would have gone the extra 0.07 on my long run that morning. So Pierce says that. I'm like, okay, just as a joke, I'll throw this up on Instagram. I was on the fence whether I was going to do it or not. Um, And I said, should I do this? And overwhelmingly, I think it was like 78% of the vote of people said, yes, go 50 miles, go look like a fool on Strava and log your (laughs) 0.07 miles. So uh, I went to get my haircut, got my haircut, and then on the walk back, I uh, jogged the like 200 meters to get me to 50 miles at that week. And you were back home visiting family. So you weren't checking final surge rigorously. So you, I don't think had left a comment um, that morning <laughs> on the long run. So I just, I just left a comment on that like 200 meter jog. I said, it's a wise man once said, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission and left it at that. And we checked a good 50 mile week. So no complaints on my end. Yeah, I was going to say, you got lucky. I was uh, a little bit off the grid. I was celebrating my mom's birthday, so I uh, didn't have the chance to intervene there. But you know what? I'm all for a little bit of fun in the training program, and uh, if that provided some entertainment value to both you and your followers, I think that's all right. Um, I think think one thing we did want to touch on was um, the ability to program workouts for you. I think just getting into nuts and bolts. Um, We talked about um, how you know, the workout was really like from, from a marathon preparation standpoint, 400s offer very little in terms of like marathon specific pace. It really was just more of a loading stimulus to say, okay, you've, you've been dealing with a little bit of something. Can we run up tempo and and make sure you pass that test? Like I said, the thing is like the challenge here with, with where you're coming from, from, you know, your running history and your training history is that the type of fatigue you feel at the end of a 5k, at the end of a mile, at the end of any race that you were to do in high school, right. Is really that like lactic, you know, acidotic feeling where everything's starting to lock up. You're really tying up and it's, it's really that, you know, your muscles, um, you, you can't take in enough oxygen and produce energy fast enough for those muscle contractions to happen. The marathon is different because like you've said before, 640 pace is actually relatively comfortable for you, right? Like it's a pace that you could probably go out and run tomorrow. You could run your marathon pace and not feel like you're, you're dying, um, which is very different than how you would feel when you're going out and running like a, uh, you know, a workout at mile race pace. So I think the one thing is like, we almost need to shift our mindset and say, okay, the fatigue that felt so familiar when you were training in high school that like acidotic, I'm tying up, I'm really pushing through that wall type of feeling is not necessarily the same fatigue that we're going to be feeling in marathon training. Marathon training is really just like, can we extend the duration of that pace and keep pushing it longer and longer and longer? And that's why we've deliberately set up a training plan where the the, the two core emphasis um, points in our week are, you know, the, the one workout, which is going to be the, the, the um, the content of that workout is, is going to switch a little bit every week and then and then the long run. Um, but one really cool thing I did want to highlight was uh, how I could just go into final surge and 
I wrote up, I kind of brainstormed the whole workout and then was actually able to build the workout uh, on final search. I was able to say, okay, this, this long of a warm up, this many 400s at pace. Um, and it was pretty intricate, right? It was like uh, three sets of, of four 400s with uh, variable rest in between the actual reps and in between the sets. And then I think you were just able to download the whole thing right onto your watch. Do you want to just speak on that real quick? Yeah, it's really cool because it kind of exactly does, as we've talked about with Final Surge, like bridges the gap between coach and athlete super, super well and utilizes modern day technology. That is a Garmin watch and an iPhone. And I'm able to download the uh, workout onto my watch from the Final Surge app to my Garmin. And Final Surge is actually coming out with a, a brand new app update early this fall where you'll be able to do it on your Apple Watch for any Apple Watch user. Um, and it's really cool because instead of like having to click the lap button every single time for like a fart lick or 400s or, you know, whatever it might be, instead it's kind of programmed in and like anyone who has a Garmin knows like it, if you've done this feature before, it like beeps down and it keeps you in control. If you're someone who loses attention very easily and um, like, you know, the three minute rest ends up being like 350, like this holds you accountable because it automatically hits the lap split for you within the system. So it's one thing from a Garmin perspective or an Apple Watch perspective or a Chorus perspective that it's cool that these watches now have these in the system uh, to help the athlete, but it's even cooler in my opinion to have an outside platform that is Final Surge where you, the coach, are writing the training plan and then I can download it right onto my watch and then you know do the workout, upload it to Final Surge, share a few comments, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think it's a very, very cool feature. Yeah, and I think it's weird too. It reduces any of the stress and anxiety around trying to remember all the details. I mean, back in the day, I don't want to age myself here, but you know, we would write the workouts like on our hands with Sharpie. And now <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even that old, but uh, it sounds like ancient technology uh, or what we were doing. But uh, now nowadays, you can just get it on your watch, which is really nice. And and we'll can we'll kind of continue to use that feature as we progress forward. And and um, and go through it. I had one question for you, Dominic, after you mentioned uh, you, you ran with your, your buddy on the long run. Um, and I've debated this question with a lot of people. What do you think is more important or what do you think adds more value to a training program? A good coach or a good training partner? Mm, ideally, the training partner would bring out the best in you and you the best in them that you could come up with somewhat of a literate training program with each other. But being coached by you, I think, again, as I mentioned in episode one, like the reason for a coach is to take the emotion out of it. And I feel like there's enough of a personal investment from a training partner's perspective. Actually, I know that. I have a good friend, Jacob Moon. Shout out, Jacob, if you're listening. We're like the guy, even if I'm like dealing with like, you know, when I was flying back home for this four by two mile workout that I was talking about, the day before, part of my leg was hurting. Like I just get these hiccups all the time, I guess. And um, he was like, oh, this is the worst day of my life. Like you can't, you can't do this workout with me. You can't pace me. He made me feel bad to the point where like, oh, I have to warm up and at least try. Um, so Jacob answers that question for me because I think there's too much of a personal investment from a training partner perspective that I think the training plan itself would probably end up being too much rather than holding you back like a coach would and making you show up on the start line healthy. I guess I'm approaching this more from a perspective of staying healthy rather than like truly thriving. I also think it uh, depends on the type of training that actually might be the best answer. If I'm training for a mile, mile workouts, it's really hard to run mile pace, 800 meter pace by yourself for a continuous amount of time for a lot of reps. 
it's very easy to run marathon easy miles, which is the majority of what I'm doing right now. Like, sure, it's maybe a little bit boring, but you throw on some Alex Hormozzi and it goes by pretty quick uh, versus something like a mile pace rep or like 600 that mile pace where like you don't have that person to hold you accountable. It can be easy to not push to that amount. Does that make sense? I know I kind of ran yeah. a circle around that question. I think there are a few different components to it, uh, and that's probably just my over-analytical thinking, but... Final answer, I think uh, having a good coach is better. Interesting. So I actually, and I don't want to discredit my own services here for this project, but I actually think that um, the training partner can add so much value. And I think the coach is important too, but like it's, I, I think it's hard to overstate the importance of what a good training partner can do for your plan. I think it like from an accountability mechanism, it, it makes you show up and do the work. And I think the biggest thing is you can have the best plan ever that's written but someone's actually got to translate what's on the page onto the track, right? Like my roommate, Jack has this great quote where he said last year, these miles ain't going to run themselves, right? Like someone's got to go in and do the work uh, and, and put in the miles and the hours. And I think if someone can help you bridge that gap, uh, the training partner is really helpful in turning uh, that theory into action. Um, yeah, I think so. it's all dependent on where you're at in life, what your goals are, what yeah. the distance is. And I think the answer, quite frankly, changes. I think for it me does. right now, uh, my answer came from a bias of where I'm at and what I'm doing. And I think it's way more valuable for me to have a coach rather than to have a training partner and coach myself because I just end up doing too much and then get injured right. uh, rather than having a coach and maybe embracing the suck of mostly solo miles, but actually staying healthy and being able to do those solo miles. If I was really trying to get in 5k shape or mile shape or whatever it might be, I think I'd value a, a training partner a lot more. So, and then another thought I had, um, in relation to downloading workouts, that's really cool. Um, and you're able to do with final surge is you can create a route or Alex, you could create a route of where I live in Austin and I could download that onto my watch which is really neat. Um, I think if I ever got injured and had to bike, that's where I would use it more because like, I feel like it comes in more handy when you're bike or when you're like mapping out a longer distance versus like four or five miles. But technology these days, is just crazy where like you can see where I'm at, you can see where I live, you can map out a route and then I can download it and my watch will like direct me. <laughs> I mean, again, yeah, no. the same thing. Like people back in the day used to write directions. My grandpa <laughs> talks about, he doesn't use Google maps. Like he still uses the maps. So I guess I just got to buy my grandpa like a Garmin and a final surge subscription and he won't ever <laughs> get lost again. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that a little bit because I looked up the elevation profile for the marathon and um, it, overall it's it's pretty flat, but there's like one hill you have to contend with in the second half. And I was thinking like if we could, and you'll be back home for some of your key training sessions in the next couple of months here, you know, we're, we're essentially going to use some of our long runs as a dress rehearsal for, for the real marathon, right? So we can simulate, um, you know, the terrain that you'll be on. Uh, we can practice the fueling, you know, put the footwear on. So we can make sure we address all of those variables that could potentially get in the way from uh, get in the way of you achieving success on, on, you know, on the day when it matters. Uh, so those will be things that we'll, we'll talk about as it gets closer. Going into my training this week. So the plan is to take every Sunday off, make these six day weeks. So I took Sunday off after a good day Saturday. That felt good to just have a great week of training behind me and then get the day off. Um, not do too much. Uh, as you said, Coach Milt instructing you while going through an injury, live like a normal person. Um, so that was enjoyable. And then Monday, I uh, had a seven mile easy run that I think you programmed on Final Surge, did that. Um, because of my like foot flare up, I didn't 
I haven't done too many hills. Uh, and then before that, I was back home and Toledo is flat as a pancake. Uh, for those who live there, they know. Um, so I haven't like done too many hills. And again, like as you talked about in last episode with injuries, like you can't really overanalyze things after the fact, but I probably ran a little too steep of hills a little too soon and uh, aggravated part of my calf. I don't know anatomy really well. So all I'll say is it's the right part of my right calf. That's what hurts. It uh, feels like kind of like a little bit of a strain. And I felt that not in my run Monday, but like right after it as my body was adapting to the work. Um, and then I ran Tuesday. Didn't think too much of it before the run. So I was like, oh, I'm going to run today. Uh, you had a six mile run in the morning and three mile run in the afternoon. So I did the six mile run and it definitely like, again, saying the word hurt or pain, it's so hard to throw out those words because it's so hard to define, which is why the pain and injury report on final surge is kind of nice. But on a podcast, it's hard to say like hurt because I don't want to make it sound like I was limping, but it it hurt enough to the point where, you know, I made sure to file a pain and injury report to sound very specific on final surge. And, uh, we had a quick discussion and messaging just to take the double off and then not run today. Um, just to be safe about it. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, your perspective, from my perspective, obviously it sucks and it's not ideal to kind of have two hiccups in three weeks. Like it's just not fun. I love the training. I love the consistency of it. Any type A individual or runner does like they want to put in the work, put in the training. So it's frustrating when these things come up. Um, and I also think it kind of tears down confidence that's built up over time, which we can get into in a minute, but also it's like, it's just kind of the path. And like you said this in episode one and Amy Craig, you mentioned her, like, you know, these hiccups are just kind of inevitable in marathon training and also like with you I mean just being open with the listener like you should probably train for a marathon more than 10 weeks out I think it's a short timeline and throwing you into that probably isn't the most fair situation so I think with some of these things we're just kind of learning as we go um, and like why are these pains happening where are they coming from like what are you adapting to so with all that being said before I hand it over to you it's like yes it's frustrating to have to take some more time off, but also it's necessary and you have to take the emotion out of it and really not like get too invested and like, Oh, you know, my chances of running a sub three are over. It's like, no, I'm totally fine. The fitness is way, way ahead of where it needs to be to run a sub three. I think it's just taking the emotion out of it, making the right reasonable choice with the info I have and kind of moving forward. I do no good by like stressing about it or overthinking it. So it's just, doing the best I can today. That's taking an off day. So I'm not even thinking about the workout that was scheduled this morning. It's like, that's in the past, do the best you can do. So that next week when the workout rolls around, like we're good to go. So that was kind of a long summary, but those are just some thoughts percolating. Yeah, absolutely. And and we were speaking offline beforehand. Um, and like I said, yeah, these things, these things are inevitable, right? I, I think one of the biggest things everyone should do is it's, it's good to, I think it's healthy to expect a little bit of adversity during a season, right? Like I've had, I had moments where in college and in high school, I expected a season to just be completely smooth sailing every time. And I was going to go on this stepwise progression from the opener to the conference, to the state, to the, you know, New England meet, and it was just going to get better and better every time. And that hap- that, that perfect progression happened exactly zero times in my career. <laughs> And w- one of the biggest things is that the the mismatch between expectations and reality uh, can can really have a big impact on how you view your progression. And if you expect everything to be smooth sailing and then you inevitably encounter a roadblock, 
Like you're going to feel like all progress has been halted. You've deviated from your plan. But if you go into a season with a healthy mindset of, you know what, I'm going to encounter a couple of setbacks along the way. That's okay. I know how to handle it. Then when those things inevitably come, you don't have to feel like all hope is lost. So, so that's a big thing. I think the other thing too, and it kind of speaks to your point here, we have this sense that training has to occur in a seven day block of time because as human beings and as a society, we've determined that seven days is going to be, you know, our work week plus a weekend. Um, but the body, it's com a completely arbitrary measure of time from the body's perspective. Your body doesn't know the difference between Monday morning and Friday morning. All it knows is the stress you put on it the day before and how you recovered from it. Right. So I think we stress a lot with having to feeling like we have to cram in all of these different elements of a training plan into a seven day block of time, because that's, you know, what the arbitrary metric is that everybody's, you know, programming for. But we're in a situation right now where we have complete flexibility to just switch some days around to move one day, you know, in front of the other. And, and we're going to do that, right? Because again, the, the body doesn't know miles, it, it, it knows stress, and it doesn't have a conception of time the way that we think about time superimposed on our own lives. So if we need to say, okay, we're going to take your rest day on Sunday, we're going to pop it in today. And then instead, we're going to do the workout on Friday, long run on Sunday. Great. You still got the same work done. Um, and even if the, it deviated slightly from the plan, like within the same, you know, 20 day block of time, you've still hit all of necessary components, but you've made minor adjustments around them. So I think that's really important because I think when I was in high school, I, had, I felt like every Monday I had to do the same thing. Every Tuesday I had to do the same thing. And I got to a point where I realized, no, 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 this is completely arbitrary. How you feel is all relative to what you have done before and what you're going to do after that. And then the other thing I wanted to say too, is that you never swim in the same stream twice, right? Like everything, you're never the same person today and your, your body is never going to be the exact same as it's going to be three weeks from now. Um, the body is this amazing organism that is constantly regenerating itself and adapting, right? So like, you know, your, your bones are turning over like once every three to four months, your muscles are turning over such that Dominic on October 15th is going to have you know, cells that didn't exist today, you know, like, because you've, you're, you're going to take the proteins from your diet, you're going to convert that into new structures. And so the whole point is that you never want to limit yourself based on what you experience today to draw from a personal example, I like would always get hurt in high school running 40 to 45 miles per week. And I now am, you know, significantly past my high school years. And I'm I can run 80 to 85 miles per week consistently with no problems. And if I had gone from high school and said, oh, I'm always going to get injured going past 45, well, that's setting up a pretty dangerous mindset, right? Because now you have all of a sudden have this idea that like, I can't do X, Y, or Z. And you really need to challenge and interrogate those beliefs because a lot of times they don't hold water and you're not going to be the same person in the future that you are today. So I think having a growth mindset in that sense and thinking I can always be pushing my limits and I can do that in a healthy way um, is a good way to approach this. Yeah, I love those thoughts. Another thought I had while you were speaking there is something, a, a big trap that I fell into in high school was I would tell myself, in order to make the state meet or in order to break 16 minutes in the 5K, these next five weeks of training that I've planned have to go exactly according to plan. I have to do every single run as programmed. I have to do every single workout. It all has to be as fast as I planned it to be. 
Otherwise, I have no shot of making the state meet or breaking 16 minutes in the 5K. That is a horrible mindset to have because inevitably those five weeks aren't going to go according to plan. I forget who said the quote, but I love it. It's like the only thing um, to plan for is the fact that nothing is going to go according to plan. Um, So I think applying that and applying the lessons I've learned from those mistakes I made in high school to this, it's like the path to a sub three or more importantly, just the path to the start line, because I don't want to get too outcome focused here. Like, there are so many different paths that could be explored to get to the same starting line. And because of that, I don't want to be constrained to one specific path. Sure, the next, you know, after I get over this hiccup, sure, it could be smooth sailing and we could hit every workout, we could hit every long run, we could hit, you know, every Morton gel very specifically. But that doesn't mean that like race day is going to go perfectly according to plan. Just like it won't, if I miss a few days, I miss a long run, something, another thing pops up. Like I think something that athletes do and something I did wrongly back in the day was we have these thoughts that everything has to go perfectly in order for me to get the X, Y, or Z output that you're seeking. And it just doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, I I completely agree. Perfection is is it's a fool's game right it, it's something that's that's unattainable uh and making that your standard um rather than instead what i think is a healthier mindset is can i make the most of my circumstances maybe i was dealt a tough hand but how am i going to play those cards right um i do think it's important though to to admit that like the work is still the work and the, and the work like still needs to get done i think you know a lot a lot of times we talk about um you know confidence and and belief in yourself and i think Confidence isn't something that you necessarily can just manufacture from thin air, right? Like confidence is supported by evidence and that evidence comes from doing the work day in and day out. And I'm not saying that that work needs to, again, unfold perfectly according to plan, but there is no substitute for actually putting the miles in and doing the work week after week after week, of course, with minor deviations and adaptations as you go. Um, I think that a lot of times, um, you know, people have this assumption that, you know, peak performers show up on the line and they're just insanely confident in their abilities and they go out and execute it according to plan. But what they don't realize is that even elite performers, even Jakob Ingebrigtsen has doubts, right? Like even he has doubts on the line and that's a pretty universal feeling. But what Jakob Ingebrigtsen has is he has years and years of experiences to draw on from his mental bank of great races, of bad races that he recovered from and ran better, um, and an insane amount of training that can inform how he's going to feel on race day. So I think there, there was this quote that we were tossing around, or at least came from a podcast you shared with me, um, which is that confidence is based on evidence and doing the work. Um, arrogance is based on wishful thinking and talking about the work, right? So that's the difference between planning and action. And the difference between being nervous and being excited before you do something is your is your level of preparation in advance of it, right? Do you want to share your uh, one of your favorite Alex Hormozzi quotes about outworking your self doubt? I love how you know that I was thinking <laughs> to share this. No editing took place there, guys. Alex is just reading my mind um, in all sincerity. So the the quote that I think you're referencing here is: "You don't become confident by shouting affirmations." at yourself in the mirror, you become confident by having a stack of undeniable proof that you are who you say you are, outwork yourself doubt. I'm assuming that's the one you're referencing. That's, and That's the one. Yeah. Um, I think it's, yeah, confidence is built by evidence and you can only fake so much confidence. 
you can only tell yourself you're you're fit without actually having evidence to prove that you're fit um so i think it's the fine line and i'd be curious to pick your brain on this of like building confidence but as we were saying a minute ago not being too constrained to a plan to be like i can only be confident if i hit x y and z session building confidence maybe in smaller more minute ways and having a more sustainable outlook on the subject of confidence itself rather than painting confidence to a few sessions that you need to hit a certain way obviously it helps when you hit a, a workout out of the park but that doesn't mean that confidence is constrained to knocking that workout out of the park. What are your thoughts on that specifically in relation to your career where, you know, you had tons of seasons where the goal was November, the goal was June and you wanted to build up confidence, but inevitably the path wasn't going to be perfect along the way. Yeah. I think a lot of this comes down to um, how much evidence do you need to convince yourself that um, you're capable of what you want to do? Um, and I think some of the best performers that I've encountered only need a sliver of evidence, a sliver of hope sometimes to realize that, wait, it's like, oh, wait, this is possible. And, and I'll give you an example. Right. So like um, when I was coming, when I've like been coming back from injuries and had like aspirations to, uh, you know, run really well at, I don't know, NCAAs and whatnot. Um, for me, like for, for a person maybe who isn't innately confident in themselves, maybe it takes them like 10 sessions um, to, to be like, okay, yeah, I'm fully back in the game. Um, but the threshold for me is like, if I can just catch a glimpse of it, I'll be like, okay, like I've still got it. Like it, it's still going to happen. So I, I think a, a, another way to talk about this is like, you have your, your ceiling to performance and you've got your floor to performance, right? Like what's your upper end potential and what's your lower end potential. And a great performer, when they, when they catch a slimmer of hope, when they have a race that goes slightly better than planned, it resets their floor, right? So like, they're now saying like, like, okay, that is now like the lower end of what I can do. Um, and they now think what once was my ceiling is now my floor and I'm going to keep building this, this tower higher and higher. Right. But for like an average performer, they will assume that their ceiling is always their ceiling, you know? So I think it's like, how high do you think your potential is and how much belief do you have that you, you can actually continue to improve? Now, again, you can't just manufacture that out of thin air. Like that, that evidence needs to be real. But my question always is like, how much evidence do you need? And like, to me, the, the people who do it really well, they just need like one or two sessions to be like, yep, I've got it. I can actually, I can actually do this on race day. Um, I think the other thing too, is that sure, we can talk about the good days, but I, I think like who you are on your bad days, because you will, especially if you're coming back from something, you're inevitably going to have some bad days actually is way more predictive of how you're going to turn up on race day. Like the bad days, in my opinion, are so much more important than your good days because anybody can show up and do it when they're feeling good. Right. But the only margin, the only difference that's created between the people who run really, really well and the people who run average is who they are on days when they don't feel great. Like who, like what is your character going to say? Like, who are you going to be on those days when it's not clicking. It's not coming to you very naturally. And the deeper you can go on those sessions and the more you can stay in line with what you said you were going to do, the more discipline that you can have, that really to me is going to, you're going to be flexing that muscle of on race day. Okay. I, I know that I've overcome some challenges. I can do that again. So sure. We can talk all day about like, you know, how much evidence you need of, to, to prove that success can, can be attainable, but it's also just like, who are you going to be when things don't go according to plan? 
I think I actually heard your former teammate and friend Grant Fisher speak to that exact uh, aspect where he said something that he's learned in the professional ranks. This was on a podcast like two years ago. He's gotten a lot better since then. Uh, is the the gap between their great days and their horrible days. And he said at the highest level, the gap is so small and so insignificant. And that's what makes the best of the best, the best of the best. And immediately as I had that thought in relation to that Grant quote, I thought to Jakob Ingebrigtsen on what he would deem as a horrible day. He plays second at the world championships, right? His good day was probably like a second or two faster than that. So his his margin for error, his margin for a bad day compared to a good day is so much smaller. Um, and I'm sure like we don't have a camera on these people's workouts, but I'm sure it's the same thing. Like their bad days aren't too far off of their good days and they're able to close that gap. And that's what makes them world class. Absolutely. And I think, you know, not everybody can be Grant Fisher or Jakob Ingebrigtsen, but one really helpful framework that I heard about this, I heard it from Steve Magnus. I don't think he was the original uh, person to share this quote, but he said um, that instead of every time shooting for your PR, which is by definition the best you ever run and isn't going to happen very often, unless you're on just like some insane upward trajectory, um, is instead of trying to always like push your PR higher, aim to make the average of your best performances of your five best performances better. Right. Because what that means is that on days when you're not having an a plus, you know, race day on execution, instead of saying, Oh, like, because I'm not going to PR, I'm just going to throw in the towel. Instead you say, no, like what I care about is not just one result, but the collective body of work that I've put together and the collective, the races that I've collectively put together and I'm going to show, and, and who, what is actually the average of those top five races? Um, and can I actually move the needle on that? Because five, you know, encompassing an average for five races is a lot different than just like going for your like Herculean crazy good effort that's going <laughs> to maybe happen once or twice a season. Right. There's a, a quote from Steve's colleague, uh, Brad Stahlberg, who, who gets mentioned frequently on the podcast and former podcast guest. Uh, he has this amazing quote that is good enough over and over and over again is how you wind up with something great. Don't aim to be consistently great. Aim to be great at being consistent. Uh, that was the first thought. The second quote that came to mind here was, what you do on your ordinary days determines what you can achieve on your extraordinary days. It sounds cliche, yeah. but I, I do think it's true. Oh, absolutely. And and just to make this a little bit more tactical, because um, it's great to talk about this in theory all the time. Um, but you know, we have this assumption, or, or maybe some people do, um, that you can show up on race day and hope for magic. And we had in one of my podcasts we did earlier in the year, we talked about like what I would call the stepping up fallacy, um, which is that, you know, everybody coaches an athlete such that on race day, they're supposed to step up. And I think that's actually the opposite of good advice because trying to step up and do something that you've never tried to do before is by definition, ex extremely stressful. So what I always think about is the, the same mind, the same brain that approach that you have on race day is the same one you carry with you on your workout days. So what you do on your workout days, which are going to be way more numerous than your race days themselves, is, is going to have a huge impact on what you can actually do when the gun goes off. And the way I like to think about this is in the hard training sessions and in your daily life, make the hard choices the default choice. Because on a Tuesday afternoon when you're doing your hard workout, if you choose to lean into that discomfort, again, you're flexing that muscle. You're making that the default choice such that when race day comes around, it's not even like you need to spend any brain power on thinking about whether or not you're going to lean into that discomfort. You just go for it. Right. And so, I mean, 
there's there's a this applies to things you know br- way broader than just the the you know a race or a, a training program but in general in life if you make the easy choices right now your overall life will be a lot harder and to simplify it down into a really nice uh snippet it's that easy choices um leads to a hard life hard choices lead to an easy life it's a bit of an oversimplification but i, I think it, it it tends to uh ten, tends to hold true um because yeah the reality is we don't train to make races feel easy we train such that you're prepared for the discomfort when that comes. When you were talking there and referencing a previous podcast you did with me this past spring when you mentioned the stepping up fallacy, a quote that I thought you were going to bring up uh, from your coach, Chris, coach Chris Miltenberg, uh, he has a saying that he says in relation to NCAA meet, but I think you could apply it to, to any race, that being good is actually excellent. I think that's just fantastic. And again, if you're, um, you know, if the gap between your good days and your great days is small enough, being good is actually excellent. Yeah. I mean, you know, we did an exercise at Stanford. Um, I think it was going into my junior or senior year where Coach Mel challenged us to come up with one word that was going to define our season, one word that we wanted to embody our work ethic um, and our ability to perform. And I thought about it for a while. And and to me, like one of the biggest like words that I, I tried to use to define my career was reliability, right? Because not just, not just, I mean, personal accountability to me is huge, right? Like being able to trust your own word, um, being able to actually stay in it when things get hard uh, and not, and not throw in the towel. I think that's, that's huge, but also reliability to your teammates. And a lot of people listening here are either going to be on a team uh, in a high school or collegiate environment and reliability just counts for so much. Like there were guys that I ran with in college where you could just close your eyes and predict within a margin of like, you know, you know, Alex is going to be between 15th and 8th at NCAAs. I just, I just know it. I can say that with like 99% certainty. Um, Grant is going to be between 5th and 10th. And like, he's not going to be any worse than 12th for something like that. Of course, I'm making generalizations here, but like being reliable and having a very small margin of error to me, that was worth its weight in gold as a teammate and as a person. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely huge. Um, when you're considering, you know, what it means to be a peak performer. We touched on confidence a little bit in our discussion here. One final question for you in, in relation to the subject, and it's something that I think we can go a lot deeper in, in in future episodes, but for the sake of time wrapping up this discussion, do you think confidence is necessary? Belief and confidence in yourself is necessary on the starting line to have a good race? I think sometimes not necessary. Like, I think you need to draw confidence by saying I am as prepared for this as I can be. But I think a lot of times um, when you're on the line and I'll speak from my own personal experience, I, I can't necessarily predict how things will go, but I have faith in the preparation that I did. And I have faith in my ability to make hard decisions when it matters, because I, again, because I've made that decision so many times that to me, it's just the easy choice to make. Um, that I don't, I can't say with confidence, yep, this race is going to go really, really well. I'm grappling with the same doubt that everybody is. I'm nervous just like everybody else is. Um, and I think a lot of races that I think I've performed well in, and I, I know after having spoken with teammates, is it's it's a lot healthier to go into a race with a, instead of saying, this is what needs to happen, instead go in with the mindset of, let's see what I can do, right? It keeps you open to possibilities because we all know that we've had a perfectly you know, written race plan that can go out the window within the first five steps. 
And it's really like the, the, the best form of mental toughness, in my opinion, is, is adaptability, right? Like, can you adapt to the circumstances as they come up? Can, can you actually roll with the punches when it matters? Um, and to me, so to me, those things are a lot more important than necessarily confidence standing on the starting line, because I think it's a myth that everybody has it and you need it to run well. As we wrap up today's conversation, one final note for you, just in regards to training uh, before closing this out. So I, I think where I'm at right now is just get 100% healthy, get over this calf thing. Same mindset we had a week ago with my foot. Unfortunately, it's back to back, but we're just dealing with the cards we're dealt uh, and then get back on the horse with training and hopefully have a, a final whatever we're at eight, seven weeks left of fully healthy training. But as we talked about in today's episode, not feeling constrained like I need to nail the next seven or eight weeks to have a good race. I think we've got something special brewing. And also this is a subject to cover in a later podcast, but this whole marathon project, like if we were really gunning for peak performance, I would have started this like, like 10 weeks ago. Um, and for me, it's more about the experience of getting my feet wet in the process of training for a marathon, seeing how good I can do it. And even though I've labeled it as project 259 and sure, I'd love to break three and it's on my mind. I'm pretty much detached from the outcome. And, you know, Alex, you're going to have me in as good a shape as I can be with the cards we're dealt, but also at the same time, like I'm just here for along the ride. I'm sure in 2024, there'll be an opportunity where I'm like, okay, let's see how far and how fast I can go. But because of the mindset of just like, doing it to do it, even though there's, that sounds very shallow, but like, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm not, I'm not too stressed about this. Obviously I want to train healthy. Obviously I'm willing to put in the work, but also at the same time, um, I'm not worried when a hiccup comes up like this, because I think we have the the tools to deal with it and the tools to bounce back. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I think one thing I wanted to say, I know earlier in the podcast, I was joking that, you know, the value of uh, a training partner is, is way more important than a coach, but when you're training yourself, the one thing that you never have complete control over is feeling like you've done enough. And I think people can probably relate to this. There's always that creeping sense of doubt in your mind when you're on the line of, oh man, like could I have squeezed a little bit more out of this session or that session? Could I have run a few more miles here or there? And the beauty of having a coach is like, nope, I faithfully executed the plan you know, as, as best as I could have. And I'm gonna surrender to the outcome at this point in time. I'm not gonna hope for any magic on race day. I know that I'm as prepared as I can be on this given day, and we're just gonna we're gonna go see what I'm capable of. So I think that's a fun place to be, and it's nice when you can kind of outsource some of that stress, anxiety, and doubt onto somebody else who can just make those decisions for you. Alex, a pleasure to do episode three. It's in the books. I look forward to talking again next week. Hopefully, fully healthy with a little bit of uh, Norwegian mixed in in episode four. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, Dominic. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I don't take your time for granted, so I hope that it brought you some wisdom and value that you can apply directly into your running and into your life. If you have not already done so, please consider giving us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And then something all of you guys can do is share today's episode or the podcast in general with a friend or someone who you think will benefit from it. One more note, if you're not already following us on Instagram, consider doing so. My Instagram tag is at The Running Effect. I hope your running and life is going well. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to listen to today's episode. I will catch you in two days when the next episode drops. Until then, happy running.